and welcome to Raven Conversations, the show where we bring you the news and information about the Washington National Guard, as well as in-depth conversations with the people who make it all happen. I'm Jason Kreiss. On the previous episode, Maximilian Dixon with the Emergency Management Division painted a grim picture of what a full rip of the Cascadia subduction zone would look like for the state of Washington. And it's not pretty. The possibility of widespread devastation from Alaska all the way down to Northern California is real and existential. Studies have shown that time after time in natural disasters, the ones who prepare, those who plan for the worst, are the ones who will likely survive and survive comfortably. In this second part of a two-episode series about disasters, the commander of the Washington Air National Guard, Brigadier General Jeremy Horn, sits down with Sarah Morris and I to wade through all the options available to people in order to prepare for a catastrophic natural disaster. Some of the things we talk about are how to put together a two-week survival kit, making a communication plan for your family, and connecting with your neighbors, those who will most likely be the first people you come in contact with following a disaster. Disasters will happen. It's just a matter of when. Will you be at home when it happens? At work? Driving somewhere? Separated from your family? Or together? These are all questions that we have to answer when thinking about an earthquake, or a flood, or a wildfire, or any number of surprises that are waiting for us. I hope you enjoy the conversation with General Horn as much as we enjoyed putting it together. Please join the conversation. But I want to take a moment to talk about public affairs. Public affairs is a fundamental tool to connect our military to the civilian communities that we serve. Through communicating your unit's story to the public, your unit will get the attention of senior leaders who make decisions and the support of the public at large. Public affairs professionals in the Washington National Guard work really hard to tell the story of the Army and the Air Force through compelling imagery, stories and articles, and now through this podcast, as well as through traditional news media like television and newspapers. Whether it's through a reporter or using social media, we provide the training, guidance, access, and the tools necessary to get your story out to the world. Give us a call at 253-512-8989 or just send us an email. You can find the email in the show notes. Thank you, and now I give you today's conversation. Thanks for joining us. Happy to be here. Welcome. Welcome to the podcast. (laughs) I am so excited to finally be on the podcast. Awesome. We're we're excited. We're excited, yeah. So we just talked with Maximilian Dixon, who gave us an overview of the the threats, environmental threats that we face here in Washington. You're a little scared, aren't you? I am. Yeah. After after his. You should be. After his. Oh my goodness. Yeah. It's so informative, but it's a little disturbing. (laughs) It it can be overwhelming. And honestly, that's why I love getting out and talking about this. uh, It's great to motivate people with giving them the science behind it and what will eventually happen. Uh, But I think there's a part of humanity that it it is so big and so scary that you almost deny it. And, you know, it's funny to me, there's so many other scientific things going on in the world that people are like, we've got to do something about this right now. But when I talk to my neighbors about a catastrophic earthquake that happens on average every three to 500 years, and the fact that we are 319 years now as of last week since the last one, 
um, they, they really don't want to hear it just because it's overwhelming. And so I think conversations like this are the best way to get our people thinking, how do I start small now and, and get, develop the ability to survive? Yes. So we're in the National Guard and part of our job, our mission is to respond during times of crisis, times of disaster, whether it's floods, fires. It's kind of in our know, motto, always yeah, ready, always there. Exactly, earthquakes, yeah. So what kind of things are we able to do if a catastrophic CSE event happens? Yeah, and you know, we started planning this CSZ response really in 2012, 2013. So it's been a long process. And I, I was involved in that planning team early. And we very quickly realized that we can't load up like you would in, you know, Battle LA, uh, whatever that cheesy movie was, where <laughs> the National Guard just shows up in trucks and they fix everything. It's right. not going to happen like that. You know, we've got 8,000 guardsmen in the, the combined Air and Army National Guard here in Washington. And realistically, a third of them are on the east side of the mountains. They're not going to be able to get here. And so you take that chunk of five or 6,000 on the west side of the mountains, and a lot of them are going to be victims themselves. Right. And so to, to start off, we developed a plan that would be a little bit more realistic. You know, what can we really do to add value to the civilian-led response? You know, right. the Guard isn't just going to come in and do everything. And we also realized that, you know, FEMA and the Title X, the active duty military, they're going to start sending stuff just like we saw in Katrina and other states are going to send their guardsmen here. So what we figured our best role would be as military members who live within these communities is to help shape before the event and then help manage during the event what that active duty and guard response could be in support of those local municipalities. Right. And so we were able to build a plan and then exercise it with Evergreen Tremor in 2015 and Cascadia Rising in 2016 where uh, you know, I, I, during Cascadia Rising, I was the wing commander of the 194th Wing. And our geographic area was Pierce County. And so we knew what Pierce County's uh, requirements were going to be, what their priorities would be, what we thought was going to survive and what wouldn't. And so as forces notionally started flowing into JBLM, we were able to help manage that flow into Pierce County so they weren't just overwhelmed all of a sudden there's there's 5,000 military people mm. running around Pierce right. County that, that don't know where they're going and who they're working with. And so, so we, we came up with that. The Guard is really more the liaison between the bigger military effort and the local municipalities and emergency managers that are already trying to, trying to make that work. And so with that, it, it might only be 20 people that are able to show up here in Pierce County on the first couple of days. Right. And then we start growing that force but those 20 people know, hey, here's where I go and here's what I uh, can do and here's who I talk to. And if we get the right people in the right place, then as we start getting more of our service members that are digging out from the rubble, you know, our guardsmen, uh, and they come into work, then, uh, then we can start building a stronger response. Uh, but really, all of that is predicated on our airmen and soldiers being ready to respond. And I think that's what you're mm -hmm. alluding to with that. And <clears throat> And it's not just that, you know, we used to teach three ways, three days, that you needed 72 hours worth of stuff. And that works great for my mom in Iowa, right. because, you know, a tornado or an ice storm probably shut, shut the, the, the city down for a few days, but it, then things will be able to start driving in and taking care of people. Here, we're dealing with 
the idea that we're going to have geographic islands based on flooding and landslides and bridges collapsing and things right. like and that. Off of roads. And yeah, I mean, yeah. Infrastructure yeah. destroyed. You, you look at the impact <clears throat> that the State Route, uh, State Route 530 slide had in 2014, it shut that road down for, for several months. And that was one slide, and there were some workarounds, but uh, my gosh, to move people from one side to the other, they had to put them in uh, you know, four-wheel drive trucks and get them up and around. Right. Mag uh, multiply that by about 300 is what we've kind of templated throughout the state that would wow. happen. Yeah. And you, you just think, so we're gonna have pockets of humanity that we just can't get to. You know, there, there's not going to be an airstrip there. There's not going to be uh, the ability to drive in there. So we're going to have folks that need to hang on for a couple of weeks. And so right. that's really why we shifted the message from three ways, three days to two weeks ready. And mm -hmm. I think it's a great plan. And it really starts with the individual service member right. getting your stuff squared away and building, first of all, having a plan and then building kits. You know, you know, it's easy to say build a kit, but you need a kit for each of your vehicles. You need a bigger kit for the house. Uh, you probably need that kit somewhere away from uh, from the main structure of your house in case your house collapses, you can still get to it. Um, and you need to have your family prepared as well. And that includes medication and a communication plan and diapers and dog food and all the other things that maybe you don't think about. But all that can be really overwhelming mm -hmm. you know? yeah if you got a big fat wallet you can go into costco and drop a few thousand dollars right. that was that was my next question is how, yeah. how, how do people economically you know incrementally uh, 20 pounds uh, of uh, mac and cheese you can get the the costco <laughs> of course that sold out really quickly there like, well i think they put it in their emergency kit you i know? think they've been paying oh. attention to your podcast <laughs> for sure uh yeah it, you can you can do that so here's what I tell my neighbors is start small. You know, look around and what do you have that's already in the pantry? And what do you have that you already have for camping gear? Right. Or extras of stuff. And just start, you know, get some Rubbermaid bins and start collecting that stuff in one place. And it's really not that hard to, to, to get to that, get to three days for starters, you know? So at least you got a chance. And you know maybe you, you you find some some old milk jars and wash them out and put water in there and you rotate it through every, but but start small. And the other thing that I encourage people go look at the Goodwill or, or garage sale or places that you can go buy extra pots and pans or a tent or a sleeping bag or something. I'd recommend cleaning the sleeping bag if you buy it at a garage sale though. Um, but then uh, you know so really instead of just saying I can't afford to go out and right. drop. $3,000 at Costco for the pallet of dried food, start off with what do you already have and when you go to the store, hey, this one's on sale, I'm gonna buy an extra couple of cans yeah. of that. Put a couple items on the list every every so often, every time you go. Just Absolutely. Add, add to it and say, okay, get another case of water while we're there. Exactly, yeah, okay. just squirrel that away somewhere and, and then you know, if it's canned goods or if it's water or whatever, rotate it through every now and then, but at least you, you've got something to start with. Uh, another thing that I did in my own house, it's really easy to get onto Amazon or another uh, retailer and get Mylar bags, and they come in sizes just like Ziploc bags, you know, quart all the way up to mm -hmm. gallon or five gallon. And then I went to the, the big box store and bought a 25 pound bag of rice and 20 pound uh, bag of uh, dried beans and things like that. And those Mylar bags come with oxygen absorbers. And so I just took a couple hours one afternoon and was able to bag up these uh, you know, five gallon bags, which equate to about five pounds of rice or beans or things like that. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of more long-term. 
Um, but that was after I already had, okay, what could I eat tomorrow right. uh, if, if something really went badly here? Rice but, and beans is smart. Rice and beans is smart, I, you know. Grains and protein, that's all you need. Growing up in the uh, southeast, I can do a lot with beans and rice. Um, and, and so so just little things like that. Uh, I will tell you there are so many good resources online to, uh, you know, different faith groups have some great resources, uh, preppers, survivalist groups, uh, people like that, that, that have, you can download charts of how long will this, this last right. if I, mm. if I uh, store it up in an oxygen-free environment. Because those things come with oxygen <coughs> absorbers, they'll actually just shrink the whole, uh, the whole bag down if you squeeze out most of the air. And you've got these bricks of rice and bean that'll probably last 30 years. Right. And, and, and for cheap, you know, it's, I think the, the, the big bag of rice was about 10 bucks, 15 bucks, yeah. something like that. Yeah. Uh, that can make the difference in whether you're able to, um, to make it until uh, the, the, the people come to help you after a catastrophic event. The next thing is kind of thinking through, okay, this is great, I got rice and beans, how am I gonna cook it? Um, what are maybe some spices I can put in there so I don't really get bored and, and not want to survive <laughs> this experience after all. Uh, but really just kind of think through and really that what that comes down to is right. make sure you practice with your stuff and make sure that your family knows what you have, where it is, how to use it, if it's an emergency radio, things like that. Uh, probably once a year, you, you need to pull all that stuff out and re-familiarize yourself and your family with what you have. Uh, and then go, oh my gosh, we're missing this, you know? I don't have any playing cards. Uh, we're running low yeah. on vodka. Whatever the you know, whatever <laughs> your personal survival uh, equipment is going to look like, you need to, to to go back to that and and continue to add to it and refine it and rotate it through. You know, one thing that uh, that Maximilian did mention as we were down in the lobby. This is after the recording, and he wanted to make sure we uh, talk about it. Was that one thing that he did with each of his kits? Is he wrote a note in each one. It's like a family member. Yeah, to the family member, whoever opens it up, and he said to just take a deep breath. You know, remember what we talked about. Remember the the, like the training, the yeah. practice that we've done, and that you got this. Yeah. So just just a nice motivational uh, note would be enough to comfort them. You know, in times of that, that's a great idea, and and. I think what we find is kind of like, you know, when I was a young lieutenant, I went through survival school. And that was really, it wasn't going to teach us everything that we needed to know, but it was to show us with a little bit of right. forethought and with a little bit of training, you can make it through this. Mm -hmm. And so it's kind of the same thing as you're preparing your family as well, going, right. hey, I can't tell you everything that's going to happen, but here's some tools, here's a little bit of confidence, and you'll, you've got this. Because odds are, if something bad happens, I'm going to be down here uh, at Camp Murray, and my family is going to be 45 mm -hmm. miles away in Seattle, right. and my daughter is going to be at school. Uh, and so one of the things we've done is designate one out-of-town person as our common communication point, because we realize you may be able to get a text out for a little bit around here, probably not going to be able to make a phone call. And so if somehow we can all reach out to Grandpa in California, he then becomes the central collection point of, this person has checked in, and we've heard from this, and, and um, uh, but somebody outside the affected area. That's something I don't think we think about terribly yeah. frequently. What kind of things do you guys want to talk about when it comes to making a kit? Do you want to go into specifics? Um, or Sure. Or is there anything else that you wanted to get to? Well, the, the big thing with the, skit, uh, with the kit is there's some basics, and you can download kind of a checklist. Um, the way I started, like I said, it was with what's already in the pantry. 
and then I'm a camper, so I bought some freeze-dried stuff, and I rotate that through as I backpack. This year, I'll replace it um, with with fresh stuff. Um, and then, like I said, I started doing the uh, you know bagging up my own rice and beans and spices and things like that. <clears throat> Another thing, though, is you, you got to think about how do you get through this mentally. So I've actually um, collected playing cards, cribbage boards, um, right. books, things like that, that that we we put in there, and that's that's part of what helps will help us keep us mentally agile right. as we go through all this because there is going to be a lot of sitting and waiting yeah, for something to happen. Probably the iPad's not, not going to not going to have iPads <laughs> is not going to work, and that's that's the challenging thing. I I, I really like uh, General Grass, who was the head of the uh, National Guard. He was the uh, chairman of the National Guard Bureau. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, several years ago, had a great story he told about the generational difference of preparation, and so. Story is, this was back in probably uh, early 2012 or 13 that his parents lived in South Florida and there was a hurricane on the way. And so he called his folks and said, and his folks are like in their early 80s, and he said, hey, do you need me to come down and help you evacuate? And his dad was like, what are you talking about? I, mean, I got the storm shutters up already, I've tested the generator, we got food and water, we're, we're going to be just fine. So the hurricane rolls through, and then the next day General Grass is watching the news and it's somebody from his parents' neighborhood. Right. <clears throat> and this much younger person is saying, where is the government? We're out of food and water. Who's coming to help us? Where, where is the government? Right. So he's kind of frantic thinking, holy cow, if it was that bad, maybe I need to get on the road and go down and help. So he finally gets in touch with his dad. His dad like, what are you talking about? Storm <laughs> came through. Yeah, we lost our power. Generator worked just fine. I, as soon as it went through, I got my chainsaw. I cleared our driveway, got the car. And then right. went over and helped the neighborhood and, and, and got his driveway cleared. And, but it was a generational thing. I, I like to use, you know, my mother grew up, she didn't have running water in her house until she was in high school and didn't have electricity in her house until she had left for college. Right. And now two generations later, her grandchildren, my kids, would probably starve if Uber Eats wasn't working. <laughs> um, and so we have really a huge generational difference in the approach sure. to right. who's going to be there to take care of us. And so that's why it's even more important to, to, to emphasize why we got to do this. Yeah, just the awareness to, like, this is an actual threat. We're not right. just being, like, crazy doomsday preppers. Correct. Like, yeah. This is a real... Like as Maximilian said, it's real threat. It's coming yeah. sometime. So Absolutely. Yeah. And you know, Just worst case, you you build all this stuff now. Well, great. I've got red beans and rice, and you know, into my 80s now. So I'm I'm gonna be set. Um, I, I see it. People don't have any trouble writing insurance checks right. for a house fire or flooding or something, which may or may not happen in their lifetime. Mm -hmm. And and yet, uh, you know, people seem very reluctant to spend the time and 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 a little bit of money to get ready for a threat that could be really existential. You know, if we have this earthquake, when we have this earthquake in the Pacific Northwest, it will change life as we know it for years. You know, we just won't have the quality of life. We'll see people trying to get out of the area. Uh, we will see, it'll be a long time before we rebuild the infrastructure. You look at, you know, Puerto Rico now, two years after their large quakes, exactly. or after their large hurricanes, are still trying to rebuild. Yeah. I just saw a commercial right before the Super Bowl of you know blue tarps on houses in Puerto Rico. Right. And they have all the shipping in the world that can make it to there, and, and yet it's taking a long time for that society to rebuild. We are going to have very limited access and, and a multi-billion dollar 
pro problem here. It's just going to take a long time. Yeah. Exactly. So we've got to really shift people's mindsets, and that's why Maximilian's uh, so important to show people why. Yeah. Kind of um, analogous to like retirement and savings for retirement. Like if you don't right. save, you don't right. stock away, you know, during your able years. Yeah. Once you retire, you're you're going to have a small check from. You know, know the social security is right, that right that's you know, a great way to put it you know and if you're yeah, not prepping if you're not, uh, if you're not preparing for disaster now you're planning on living on social security that's that's the equivalent yeah. uh, which may or may not be there yeah. and and you know the more we look at this the more we know it's going to be probably two weeks for help to get to a lot of areas and and so you've got to be prepared uh, at, at the end of the day it, it it requires a little bit of an investment up front. Mm -hmm. uh, the cost of not doing it and needing it is significantly higher. Yeah. Just, just like insurance for your home or planning for your retirement. That's a really good way to put it. Mm -hmm. I'm going to borrow that if I can. Absolutely. Awesome. I'll attribute you. <laughs> Great. I'm up there with General Grass. I got one of his stories. Absolutely. I, I like that. I like that. Um, um, yeah. The other, um, the other piece that we really struggle with too is how are we going to get together? You know, if something bad right. happens. What's the common meeting place? Uh, you know, for, for my wife, I've got a great story about my wife, though, because, you know, I'm at the point now where we actually have somewhat of a helicopter pickup plan to, to grab our key leaders, because my job, if all of this happened, would be to step in and be the dual status commander. So for the state of Washington, in charge of both Title 10, the active duty, and Title 32, the guard forces. And so at, at this point, I'm on the, the short list of folks that they would get a helicopter as soon as we had one available and get me to wherever the, the governor, the TAG, the FEMA folks, wherever they were operating. Mm -hmm. And uh, so my wife was like, well, can, can I come along? And I'm like, you know, at that point, we're kind of gonna have to make the call and I might get in a little trouble, might be able to see if that would work, but I, I, but I don't know, so you need to be ready in case we can't. She's like, well, can we go over and get our daughter at UW? And I'm like, that ain't gonna happen. <laughs> There's gonna be 30,000 panicked kids yeah. at the University of Washington. So the best we can do is tell her where the safest place to go is. Cause I, I can't stash uh, two weeks worth of stuff, uh, you know, by and large in her dorm room at UW. Right. Um, mm -hmm. and, but and you I, sort of hope the university has some sort of plan. You hope they do. You hope too, they have some sort of plan. You know, one of our phrases in the military, hope is not a valid uh, course of action. They got a big, you know, defect. They got a big defect, but yeah. I, what you really find is a lot of places operate with about two or three days worth of stuff. Yeah. And so the idea that there's longer term stores there, I mean, people think that about Camp Murray. They think, oh, great, you know, if we have several hundred or thousand guardsmen show up here at Camp Murray, we've uh, we've got a, this alleged mythical uh, warehouse full of MREs somewhere, and it doesn't exist. We we don't have <laughs> a warehouse full of MREs on Camp Murray. Yeah. Um, and, and so and they probably have one at JBLM though. They might. We got bolt cutters, <laughs> so we can <laughs> probably get to it. Uh, but I'll tell you, I have I have at least a week's worth of food in my office squirreled away, uh, because I know that if it hits while I'm at work, or if I get to work. Uh, this is where I'm going to need to be in need to be in uniform, and that's something that we really tried to message to our airmen and soldiers: is if the ground shakes for five minutes and you try and call your your commander and you can't get through, take care of your family. But we expect you to put the uniform on, and it, and from the minute you put that uniform on, leave your house and try and get to, 
you know, ideally it's to Camp Murray or it's to your local armory or maybe it's to your local police station or fire station, someplace that you can connect with the response network, right. um, then you're on state active, active duty at that point. You know, we, you don't have to wait for orders to get cut. Mm -hmm. The governor, by approving our plan, the governor has already approved that if we have this catastrophic event, the guard is mobilized. And so the expectation is, that you and your family are squared away right. and you know we understand you're going to need a day or two oh, yeah. to get them probably to a neighbor or to family and to get your supplies dug out and make sure that they're safe but then we're going to need you and so we expect our guardsmen to show up mm -hmm. um, and, and, <clears throat> and get some place that we can then start gathering them up and getting them into the jobs that we train through trained for through Cascadia Rising and, and our other uh, emergency planning. You got um agreements with other states to send like Idaho and or Oregon even if they're yeah. they right. might be affected too especially but air assets is what I was thinking right yeah. who we knows what is going to happen <coughs> to the airfields here we do because uh, and really one of the first agreements uh, some of it is with with FEMA and uh, Northcom Northern Command mm -hmm. uh, because you know FEMA handles the civilian response Northcom handles the military response and we already have been discussing with them okay if uh, if this happens, the first thing that we really need to do is see what the uh, status of our runways, the right. bigger runways are. And so uh, the Air Force has what's called a contingency response group. They have one on the West Coast, one on the East Coast. And their whole job within 12 hours is to fly out and typically go the last mile on helicopters but land at an airfield and assess can we land airplanes here, and if so, how big? Right. Uh, and they then give the thumbs up to Transportation Command, Transcom, say, okay, this airfield's good for C-17, start bringing stuff in. Right. And so we have, we're, we've, we've started working that plan <laughs> where, best case, we can use the runway at JBLM, you know, at, at McCord or at Gray, because either one of those can take C-17s. Right. And so you would see airplanes just start coming in and disgorging pallets of stuff, but what we're already doing with particularly Northcom, is what do we need first? And um, we know that we're gonna need engineering first. The problem is bulldozers don't fit into airplanes very well. And so, you know, we're really trying to, to massage what do we need versus I don't want them to send me, you know, pallets of Hershey bars right. when what I need is medical supplies or water purification equipment or engineering resources, mm. uh, all of those kind of things. So yeah, we're, we're developing those plans uh, and also with other states because we know one of the things we're gonna need is some other unit to come in here and help organize what we call JRSOI, Joint Reception, Staging, and Onward Integration. So as guard and active duty forces start showing up at Yakima or uh, Spokane Airport or Fairchild on the in the unaffected areas right who do we have that has the expertise to in process them set up a base camp for them until we can get them across the pass and get them to work over here on the west side uh, we just ran a tabletop exercise in June of this past year that started at least validating some of those concepts um, but a lot of this uh, I, I use the, the, the phrase, uh, we, we, we had a really robust fairy dust factory during Cascadia Rising <laughs> that we sprinkled a lot of assumptions and we go, right. okay, and at this point this happened. Well, now we're starting to go back and pull the thread on that sweater right. and go, okay, in order for that to have happened, this, this, and this needed to happen, how do we do that? Mm. And so that's now where we're at in terms of, so we know we, we have a relationship with a brigade in Nevada, another one um, uh, further east. 
that they know if they hear about five minutes of shaking in Washington, just load up and start coming this way. Same thing with the brigade in Idaho, the 116th brigade there. Right. They know that if they can't talk to us, load up, go to Spokane, and our folks that are there who will be running the show until we reestablish control on the west side of the state, we'll, we'll be able to move them further forward. So we, we are having those conversations. Because it'll be us, Oregon, and California most likely. Northern part of California yeah. and, and Alaska. Uh, we brought Alaska into the discussion. Okay. Uh, they may or may not be impacted by the earthquake, right. but a huge amount of their supplies come through the Port of Seattle right. and the Port of Portland, Port of Tacoma. And they might have some tsunami. They, they it, could very well right. have. And, and they've had issues with tsunamis. As a matter of mm -hmm. they just had a tsunami uh, just a few weeks ago. Right. So really, Alaska operates on a fairly narrow margin that a lot of their consumables, they've only got three or four days worth of stuff on hand. They, re uh, they rely right. on constant shipping through the ports out of the Northwest. So if that's disrupted, the second order effect is that Alaska will have problems. Right. And so Alaska was actually here for our exercise in, uh, in June dealing with the, the, the staging and onward integration. So, so yeah, it's, it's a regional problem. Right. And we're gonna exercise this all again in 2022. And with that, we're asking FEMA and Northcom to look at us as a region. Uh, in 2016, we were the primary exercise players. They had a separate, smaller exercise that involved Oregon. And it didn't really test, hey, what happens if both we and Oregon need something? Right. Uh, because the next layer up has to help adjudicate who gets what. Mm -hmm. And so I think in 2022, we're going to be able to get to, this is a regional problem, what does a regional response look like? And, and be able to, um, to, to really find out what are the big issues going to be. That's the only way to, to really tease those out is to, to try them and see where we have points of failure. And so 2022 is going to be, it's going to be a big deal. We're probably going to have fewer people on the ground but more people involved in decision-making than uh, what we had in 2016. Well, it's really comforting knowing that we're actually thinking about these kinds well, yeah, of things. Well, yeah, right. there's a lot of plans out, out front, which yeah. is always good. It, it's a pretty new conversation. I moved yeah. here in 2009. I've been stationed here in active duty in the 90s, and nobody was talking about it. Right. You know, it just wasn't a thing. Well, that's why I said to Maximilian, I said, I was here as a cadet in 2007, and I didn't know anything about it. And no. when we moved here, I didn't know anything until I did my NEO here. And I was like, oh, well, that's a thing. And I brought it home to my husband, and he's like, what are you talking about? Right. Because he had no idea either. <laughs> right. And there's still a lot of, I think we've got a much better awareness. Yeah. Uh, at least people have heard something about it. Mm -hmm. um, but But a lot of it goes back to, uh, some research that came out in the in really from 2000 on. Right. Uh, phenomenal book that just came out not too long called, called uh, Full Rip 9.0. And that was before the New Yorker article that came out a year later after after mm -hmm. that. So lots of that good. book was written before. Right. I mean, so we all knew it. when the New Yorker article came out, caused a lot of national attention. Right. And people started. But, but we here in the Northwest it. already knew it was a it was a threat, right? You right. You know, because of all you're right the, the research that that was trying to get out, but it like, seems like it was, you know, falling on deaf ears, kind of. A absolutely, and you look at the Japanese earthquake in yeah. was that 2011. Mm -hmm. uh, that brought it to the forefront. Uh, yeah. internationally as well of, well, this ring of fire is actually a thing and you can have catastrophic, and you look at the amount of preparation the Japanese put into, particularly tsunami, right. 
Uh, fortunately, you can see the value in Japan of the building codes, that a huge number of their structures survived. Yeah. But even despite having, you know, sometimes 12, 15 foot tsunami walls, yes. uh, there's nothing better to hammer that point home than seeing a ship going over a 15 yeah. foot tsunami wall. So I lived in Okinawa when I was a kid, and I remember the tsunami walls on the, right. on the coast. and. When I saw the videos, I was just, like, I could imagine how big they were in real life. And I was amazed at how this, the, the water and the ships and everything could go through. Because in my mind, when I was a kid, I was like, well, thank God we have these right, right. tsunami walls. Because, I mean, the waves would happen quite often. But, yeah, that was that was crazy. Seeing a, a full-size ship go over like a like it was a I kid's mean, toy going out of an overflowing like, bathtub. And then just yeah. going straight through a city like, here's a ship going through the city. Like, that's insane. It right. was like watching, what is that, Jake Gyllenhaal one, the, the day after tomorrow or something <laughs> like that. So, so I think, you know, people have a visual now to put with that of what it could look like. Yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, of course, the, uh, you know, the rock documentary, uh, you know. Um, San Andreas. Yeah, San yes, Andreas. San Andreas. Almost, that's when California is just going to detach itself from right, the rest of us. Which, you know, you could argue whether that's a good or bad thing. But um, the, the, no, so San Andreas aside, uh, we, we've got enough out there that people are at least aware. Right. But translating that awareness to action is really the next step that, that we've got to get folks. One of the things that I think we could help influence as well is getting our guardsmen as they prepare themselves and their family, get them out of the neighborhood. And there are programs like Map Your Neighborhood right. um, to find out, because you know, in my mind, survival is a team sport. And so if you can talk to your neighbors and find out who has what and where there are different levels of preparation, you can help bring that conversation, elevate that conversation that everybody's doing something but also find out who's got medical training who's got right. special needs you know mm -hmm. who do you need to go look for Where, that, that nice little old lady that lives across the street what kind of medicine is she going to need and and uh, you know is she going to be able to get out of her house right. All of and those, is she by herself you know correct I mean? like yeah how many cats does she have you know so um so you look at that and then it becomes a community effort yeah. and and then there's strength in that as well that you've talked about this if it happens, you know you're in it together, and there's there's some psychological strength as well as just some some communal strength with that. Uh, and that's I'll be honest, that's where I'm trying to get into my neighborhood is uh, just getting people to they, they they don't laugh at me anymore when I start talking. They don't look at me like I'm the Unabomber <laughs> when I start talking preparation. Uh, but if I ask them, okay, what have you actually done about this? Uh, typically, kind of get the shrug on that. So mm -hmm. it's trying to translate that awareness into action. That's our next challenge. We're just talking to your friend group. So I am. I moved here in June, but even just from working here and knowing what I know now, I've been bringing that knowledge into my spouse group of military spouses who are all new here or have only been here for a year or so. Right. And none of them knew about this. And so once I started talking about it to them and we get into the conversation of like, what does that look like? And how can you prepare on sort of like a budget and a little bit at a time? I think that helps a lot, just like bringing just purely the information into your community that might not be aware or might not be engaged or think it's a real threat. And then having somebody in uniform with valid information, I think always brings some credibility to the conversation. Right, right. And we, uh, we've actually got a great resource that we haven't used as much, um, but, but are starting to use more. <clears throat> and that's our Washington State Guard. Right. And so our State Guard are all volunteers. 
they drill one weekend, uh, one day a month with no pay, but then we can mobilize them and we have uh, typically this past year we, we mobilized quite a few of them for fires to go help with security and communications. Uh, but our State Guard has taken on the mission of getting out of the communities and so they've done numerous uh, speeches to civic groups, Boy Scout troops, faith groups, whatever, uh, any place they're invited in to come in and talk uh, about exactly these concepts. They, you know, take a big stack of these uh, two, uh, two weeks ready brochures and hand those out, but they've helped become the face of the National Guard getting out of the communities as well. So the more voices that are carrying that same message, uh, the more we're finally going to get some action on it. Um, yeah, and the other thing that I would emphasize is if you get ready for two weeks, and then we got a power outage that goes, well, even just a, a couple of years ago, we had power outage that particularly folks out in Yelm and Puyallup were, were out of power for a week or so. If you're ready for two weeks, then, then you really automatically are ready for those smaller scale right. disasters. So it's not like you're gonna put all this stuff up and you're never gonna use it. Cause I mean, just in my almost 10 years here, we've had ice storms, uh, we've had flooding mm -hmm. and you know, other things that impact, particularly if you're anywhere that, that potentially is a fire, uh, that, that go bag that's in your car can also be really nice if you have to bug out uh, on short notice for a, uh, for a wildfire yeah. Um, yeah. or if you're cut off because of flooding, you know, all of those things. So it's not an all or nothing mentality. Uh, it's that uh, the, the preparation you do now is going to cover a whole bunch of hazards. And that's really the same thing with our guard response. We looked at if we can figure out a plan to help our communities in the, the event of this catastrophic earthquake, it's going to make us that much better in case it's a volcanic eruption or another uh, State Route 530 type mudslide or if it's flooding down yeah. to Chehalis. Uh, we, we are much better now than even four or five years ago that, that our community partners know who we are, know what our capabilities are, and we're going to be out there in the community supporting them. So, so yeah, just start small and do something. Yeah. Nice. Start small and do something. There we go. <laughs> There's your catchphrase. There's my catchphrase. <laughs> I like it. That's, that's the sound bite right there. <laughs> it's going to be the motto, the new motto. Start, the new start motto. small, do something. That's right. Yeah, anything else we wanted to cover? No, I, I think we, don't think so. I think that's it. All right, we'll keep it aligned with most folks' attention spans then. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you, General Thank Warren, you. For Thanks for the time. the time. Yeah. Thanks, Jason, Sarah. Good, good fun. information. I'm glad I finally made the list. I just hope more people listen to me than Chief Almond. <laughs> it's really my, my We'll definitely have to keep that one in there too. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>